people of God, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, mercy is in Jesus Christ. It's not outside of Him. It is in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the mercy of God that was given to humanity, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, uh, the chief cornerstone in the structure that God is now building, and that building is still going on, it's still going on, uh, and it's also the stepping stone for us to step on, as it were, and to reach heaven, and praise God for that. Now, the thought that I want to pick up on, he says, you're living stones, and that's terminology from the Old Testament when they were building the temple. Um, Living stones, he says, you're being built into a house or into a temple for worship. Um, you are holy priests, and you will offer spiritual sacrifices. What might those spiritual sacrifices be that we worship, that we offer up? Well, it's our worship primarily. No longer do we slaughter lambs. No longer do we sp- spill blood all over the place. But you know, when the flesh is crucified and attacked with the, with, the, with, the, with the knife of God's word, it screams. And it says, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding. Yeah, we want the flesh to bleed and we want it to die. And I'm not talking about your body and my body. I'm talking about the old nature that has to be killed uh, and kept down. Uh, otherwise, it'll get in the way of worshiping God. Individually, we're little worship units designed to worship God. That word, that worship units. You know, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a portable unit. You and I, we are a portable unit. We're little worship units. And from us, constant worship is supposed to go up. Constant thanksgiving. Train yourself to give thanks to God all the time. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Offer up thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Is that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? It's not in your outline, but it's there. I assure you it's there. <laughs> in everything, give thanks. In other words, in the good times and in the not so good times. And that will determine if faith is, faith is operating in our lives because it's easy to have faith when everything is going good. But when the challenging times come, that's really what faith is for. And if all we do is complain and gripe and whinge and whine, we clearly are not operating in faith. Just poke the person on the side, say, he could be speaking to us. So just tell him right now, could be speaking to us. And you know, as we've said, you know, when the preacher points to people, there's always at least three fingers pointing back. And I'm challenged. It's like, am I a thanksgiving person or am I a griping person? Am I, is, is, I'm a little portable worship unit. Is worship going up all the time? And worship is primarily, primarily voice giving thanks to God. But it is also, you know, when I, for example, when I talk to people, I'm not worshiping God at the same time, but I can have a constant attitude, developing a constant attitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. All the time, I, all the time giving thanks to God. Thank you, Lord. In the morning, this morning when I got up, particularly when I'm not feeling that great, I didn't feel good this morning for some reason. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If I had it done this morning, what some of you do when you don't feel good on a Sunday in the morning, there'd be no preacher in the house today. Go on, go on. 
That's why we don't walk by feelings. We walk by the Word. Collectively, we are built into a large temple for God, which is known as a house of worship. I remember when we used to rent a hall down in Moira, and some of you remember those days. We're going back now at least 13 years uh, prior to moving in here. And the uh, and, uh, hall was set in the, mi- in the middle of a residential area. And, oh, man, we almost lifted the roof every Sunday. <laughs> there was the, the noise that came out of the place. But you know what? When we moved on, the neighbor that was immediately next to the hall, it was said afterwards that he says, what's happened? Where, where are they gone? I'm, I'm, missing, I'm missing the music that's coming out of that place. And, uh, you know, we're like, we're known as a, as a place of worship, where we were just worshiping God, unashamed, unashamed. We don't care who listens. We don't care who looks. Uh, we're just worshiping God. So collectively, collectively, we are known as a house of worship. Every local church is to be a house of worship where people unhindered and unfettered, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting and offering praise and worship to God in an exuberant sort of a way. I know that there's a time for reflection and time to be quiet, but not on Sunday in the morning. You've, you've reflected home. And <laughs> Sunday, let's be noisy, uh, because that's what God wants. You know, if you look in the Old Testament with all of them uh, instruments they had, that the, speaks about the clanging cymbal, and they had all sorts of percussion instruments, and man, the place was noisy. <laughs> it, was, it was noisy. Let me read to you from the dedication uh, passage here in Second Chronicles, where um, they now finished with the tabernacle. They built the tabernacle of Moses, and uh, Solomon was really quite an organizer, able to organize the whole deal and organize the priests and everything. And he called the whole nation of Israel together for the dedication um, ceremony. And uh, as part of that, they carried the furniture, the articles of worship out of the portable tent into the temple. And then he had the priests all lined up and the musicians, the instruments, everything was ready to go. Uh, and I just want to read the final passage here uh, from verse 11 of Second Chronicles 5. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. Uh, so basically what that means is that they had a sanctification process to go through before they could even go into the temple and minister in there. And we talked about that last week, that we need to sanctify ourselves. We look in the mirror of God's Word, make sure that our attitudes are all right, and that there's no offense in our heart, and no gripe, or no complaint, but there's only worship there. He says in the, verse 12, And the Levites who were the singers, those of Asaph and Heman and Jedithan, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed with white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. So, you know, trumpets, they were the shofar, the, the trumpet, uh, ram's horns uh, that they used to blow. It's like you can imagine, uh, uh, some years ago, we, we had a, a shofar here, and I blew a couple of times, and somebody in the back row nearly fell off their chair because of the noise that this thing is able to produce one instrument. Well, here's 120 of them, besides all the percussion stuff and besides all the singing going on. So it's quite a deal, really. And... Uh, 
And indeed, verse 13, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound. Everybody say one sound. He says, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord, this is the temple now, says that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, um, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. The glory of the Lord filled the house of God. That's the pattern, and that pattern ought to be repeated over and over. And there's that dual effect that individually we are temples of God. We are supposed to be filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we quoted it before. Be filled with the Spirit. And then collectively, when we come together, that even the place that we're in is filled with the presence of God, because that's what God wants. Just walked into the prayer meeting here this morning. I came in slightly late, um, just busy with a couple of other things. And when I stepped in there, and usually at some point I pick up the microphone and I lead the prayer meeting. When I picked up the microphone, I was aware. thought, we can't add to this. The presence of God is already here. And, and what could I say now? That would add to this because the presence of God was here. And, uh, and I just struck with everybody just, uh, just aware. So we talk about stepping into the Holy of Holies. We, we've already been in the Holy of Holies this, this morning. And uh, so the cloud, the glory cloud, filled the house when everything had been done according to God's word. Solomon went right back said to the priests, what does the word say about this? In fact, the whole building structure, they went right back to the instructions that God had given to Moses for that portable shrine uh, that they built. And he repeated the whole process just in durable uh, materials in a, on a larger scale. But otherwise, with everything, there was still a gate to be entered his gates with thanksgiving. There was still a, a bronze altar for sacrificing, where we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Then there was the bronze laver. That thing was massive, where the priests would wash themselves and look themselves in the mirror to make sure that there was nothing out. Uh, everything, they were able to fix themselves and go on into the holy place, which had the three articles of... of uh, in there, which was the table with the showbread on it. It had the uh, the lampstand with the seven the seven um, flames on there, which represents, if you like, you know, the Bible in the book of Revelation speaks about the seven spirits of God and, and don't want to get too hung up. There's actually only one Holy Spirit, but there's sevenfold application of that. Uh, and then there was the altar, the golden altar of incense. Incense speaks of of the prayers and the worship of the saints, and they're moving on right in into the Holy of Holies. Uh, as we then, at some point during our praise and worship, burst out in singing in the Spirit. We're now getting out of the understanding. We're getting out of the soul. We're no longer singing in English, but we're now singing in the Spirit. And that thrusts us through right on into the presence of God. Um, Paul says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding. So when everything had been done according to God's Word, praise to God turned up. When everyone's heart was united in praise and in worship. Do you know, we might be impressed by going to a 
presentation where, say, the symphony orchestra is uh, playing somewhere, doing a presentation. We might be impressed because there's not a single tone out of tune. I think, wow, this is just amazing unity amongst the musicians here. But we're judging according to the outward appearance and according to physical tunes that we hear. But God charges at the heart. We might still be making a beautiful sound physically, but if hearts are disconnected, hearts are at odds with one another, so-and-so doesn't talk to so-and-so, this one gossips about that one, we can make all the sound in the whole wide world. God will not come and fill the place to the degree that we want him until those issues are sorted out and resolved. And we are preparing God a place that is comfortable, says that God dwells in the praises of his people. But it's not the physical sounds that we produce, it's the spiritual sounds. You know, when the temple was built, and I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but those stones, they were fitly joined together. And in fact, there wasn't even any need hardly for any mortar, because they so made an effort, the stone cutters so made an effort that the stones were cut just to size and fit into that exact spot. And they were all joined together. Sometimes people say, I don't want people to get too close to me. Relax. We're being fitly joined together. (laughs) And it is the unity that is the mortar in between the stones, building up a whole structure that God can come and fill. Luke 19.45 Jesus went into the temple. That's now what's called Herod's temple. Solomon's temple took seven years to build. And the Bible tells us that they, they considered their place, the physical site, so sacred that they did all the stone cutting out in the quarry and all the preparation that fit things together out there because the Bible says that on the actual building site there was not heard the sound of a hammer or a chisel or, or a stone cutting tool, nothing. It was just like when it all came, it just all fit together because all the cutting was done out in the quarry. Impressive. But uh, Herod's temple is said to have taken some 47 years to build. Just ongoing. Um, as funds uh, were becoming available, they carried on building. And that was the temple that Jesus walked into. And because everybody's walked in and out, and they were always used to everything that was going on. There was all the hustle and the bustle. There was people there, the, the money changes, uh, because there was people that were coming from foreign countries, so they changed money into, so that the, the, you know, the, the gold coin that was required to enter in there, that they had some of that. And, uh, and there were others there that were selling doves because uh, there were certain requirements to make offerings and so, certain things. And of course, there was guys in there, you know, the money changers and the money makers. Nobody thought anything of it. And Jesus comes in and says, this is not right. This is not what my father had intended. And he said, it is written in the scriptures. Let me back up. Luke 19.45. Jesus went into the temple and began to throw out the people who were selling things there. He said, it is written in the Scriptures. See, it's again going back to the Word. What does the Word say? What does God say as to what this deal is supposed to look like? He says, the Scripture is written in the Scriptures. My house will be a house of prayer, 
but you have changed it into a hideout for robbers. And because these guys in there had the monopoly, they were charging uh, uh, exorbitant rates, they were ripping people off. And uh, so in other words, uh, you know, when, when it's just like in the temple, the church is not for commercial activity. You don't do your networking in the church and sign people up for your deal. You, you don't do that in the house. That's not what it's for. It's to be a house of prayer and a house of worship. So the living stones, stones were quarried out in the mountains and hills beyond, away from Jerusalem. Huge, huge things that were cut out and then carted towards Jerusalem and dragged up the hill. Don't ask me how they did that. Unbelievable. They were cut into the required shapes by the stone cutters and then transported to the temple site. David was Solomon's father, had a real desire to build a temple for God. He built himself a house and he suddenly became aware. He said, I'm living in a fancy house, God, and, and you're in a tent. It's not right. He had a good heart. But God says, no. He says, it's a good desire, but no, you will not build me a house. He says, you're a man of war. Too, too much blood has been shed. He says, your son is going to build me a house. And when David came in, man, he just routed the enemy and subdued everybody around him. When Solomon came in, the place was in peace. Israel was at the pinnacle of her nationhood, in charge, around, had good relationships and friendships with nations around. And if anybody, uh, you know, had played up, David went out there and sorted, sorted it out. So the place was all sweet and all cool. So when Solomon came in, he says, I want this man to build me a house. And David says, all right, he says, but I will make preparation for it. So there's an intergenerational deal going on. David gathered together vast amounts of silver and of gold and of precious stones and of building materials, of uh, woods and, and all sorts of things. And he already sent the stone cutters out. And in the height of the building project, Solomon had 80,000 people out there in the quarries cutting stone and working with chisel and knocking off all the lumps and all the bumps and fitting them together, presumably, and I'm just guessing here, because nothing was uh, chipped away in, in, on the temple mound. Uh, that was all done out in the quarry. So when it all came together, it all just fit together. And then David handed the whole show over to Solomon, and Solomon became the man that built this temple. Jeremiah 23, verse 29 is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. We are living stones, and man, do we need some work done on us. And it's God's word, driven by the Spirit of God, that will knock away all the lumps and all the bumps. Because if we were to try to fit into a structure as we came from out of the world, we, we just don't fit. And needless to say, it's the, the foul language and, the, and all, all, the, all the excesses of the flesh, all the sexual sin, all the stuff that goes on. And if God says, I want all of that chipped away. And as I said, I might have referred to it last week or the week before, that you know, when we get to the stage when we're no longer in fornication, no longer committing adultery, no longer rob banks, no longer kill nobody, when all of these things are cut away, all that remains is attitudes. And if we had God's eye that sees through everything, we would be amazed 
the number of people that walk into that door and in doors right across the world with bad attitudes and God says, I don't want that either. Let that be cut away by the word of God and by the spirit of God. You repent and you look yourself into the mirror before you come in worshiping God and fix up whatever needs to be fixed up. Don't come into the house with a bad attitude and affect everybody else with a bad, bad attitude. Don't come in gossiping and bring that stench into, into the nostrils of God. God doesn't want that. He's not my word like a hammer. So, oh, oh, pastor, just being a bit strong today. No, no, the word is strong. The word is strong. That breaks the rock in pieces. Breaks the rock in pieces. God says, I'll take away the heart of stone and I'll give you heart of flesh. And sometimes people start out good. And oh, wow. Just, oh, empty themselves before God and say, oh, God, use me. And then sometimes there's an attitude change along the way. There's a hardening of the attitudes and a hardening of the heart. And you're just back to a heart of stone. See, our lives have been cut away from the quarry of the world and shaped into suitable stones for the building of God's temple. And God's Word has the power to knock away every lump and every bump. But it'll only do that if we let it happen. Sometimes people sit in churches or in a church for years with a bad attitude. It's unbelievable. You can see it on them. You can hear it. So the key word there is discipleship. That really, in many respects, you know, we talk about uh, the quarry of the world where you and I have been cut out of to make us suitable into living stones for the building of the temple. But every local church is like a quarry, and you've got the stone cutters, and you've got the chipping away, and all the lumps, and then you've got the, <laughs> you talk about the same paper ministry. You remember that I used to talk about back in the 80s, like the same paper ministry. That was like a new word, the same paper ministry. And, uh, you know, you put the stones together, and then people get all out of sorts, and, oh, so-and-so bumped me and lumped me, or what have you, and say, so, just, you know, just settle in, settle in. And, and you know, eventually, when once you, you, you take away the, the big sledgehammer, that, you know, breaks the, the rock in pieces and then the chisel with the hammer and everything, you take that away and then the same paper over it. Let's smooth that stone off. Sometimes people say, okay, I'll do the sledgehammer thing, I'll do the chisel thing, but don't do the same paper. <laughs> don't make me go into a connect group. I'm not going. I'm here on a Sunday. It's all I want. Well, what should I say now? I just ran out of things to say. Like, what do you say? What does God want? Bad attitude. Sometimes people say, oh, I love the word. Pastor, I love the word, but don't make me sing. What does God want? <laughs> I love the singing. There's too much preaching.
1 Corinthians 3. Verse 9, he says, But we are God's fellow workers, Paul the apostle with his mates, Apollos and some of these other guys. He says, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. He's speaking to the Corinthian church. He says, You are God's building. And really, in building, he's talking temple. It says, according to the grace of God that was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another one builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So most certainly the church is not built on men. Absolutely built on Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will reveal it. The day is in the, the day, uh, the judgment day, or the judgment seat of Christ, when, you know, the Bible, in fact, I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me carry on reading here. It says, the day will reveal it, um, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will t test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone works, which he has... Uh, uh, if anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yes, so as through fire. Have you know that salvation is by grace? But rewards in heaven is in direct proportion to how we have served in this life at this time and the attitude that we have served with. Um, do you not know Verse 16, that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So Paul referred to himself as the architect, the wise master builder. God's actually put the ministers in charge in the church, not the people. Sometimes people think it's democracy. And we have committees and voting but that is completely foreign to the whole concept uh, of the New Testament. Um, and uh, you get people that are so opinionated, so opinionated because they think that's how the world works and that's how democracy works. They come into the church, they bring that attitude with them. It's the master builder. And, uh, and Paul laid the foundation in the church there in, in Corinth. He actually planted the church there. And of course he laid it on Jesus Christ and on the works of what Jesus Christ has done. And others came in afterwards. There was Apollos and some of his, uh, uh, Paul's co-workers came in and built on that foundation. But it's the apostolic ministry that lays the foundation. Um, and gold, silver, and precious stones is speaking of precious, durable materials that are representing, basically representing spirit-led actions and spirit-led works that will endure. And then he speaks there about wood, hay, and straw that are temporary materials representing uh, works tainted by the flesh. The Bible says uh, we will all appear before Christ. It speaks about the judgment seat of Christ, which is actually in many respects uh, not to judge us for the sin, but it will test the works that we've done and then there will be rewards accordingly. Book of Revelation, I wish we had more time, it says that, that uh, when people arrive in heaven, it says their works do follow them. So we arrive in heaven with our works. Not with our money, because we can't take money with us, but we arrive with our works. 
with all the service that we've rendered while we're on this earth, serving God selflessly, faithfully, with a good attitude, and, and for that matter, with a bad attitude, and we drag it all with us to heaven. We arrive in heaven, and then there's the judgment seat of Christ, and God says, stand back. God said, when God says, stand back, you stand back. So we stand back, and the Bible says a fire will go through the whole deal. And uh, gold, silver, and precious stones are durable materials that will not uh, that will not break down in fire. They will just like a burst of fire go through it. I don't know exactly what that would look like. So say I haven't got that inside, and nor does the Bible get into any specifics. But the Bible says that the eyes of Jesus are like a flame of fire, seeing right through everything. I might be able to fool you. You might be able to fool me. But you can't fool Jesus. You just can't fool Jesus. We might say, oh, look how wonderful I am and everything that I'm doing. Well, most of what you do will be burned up because it's the, the stench of the flesh on the works that people do with their, with their filled with self attitude that God just doesn't want. So God says, stand back. So the fire goes through it. Gold, silver, precious stones will remain. And wood, hay, and stubble, which is combustible materials, speaking of flesh, flesh uh, produced, uh, you know, like Ishmael's instead of an Isaac, if I can use that expression, it'll all just burn up like in a flash. You know, people might arrive at a pile of works like, whoo, like, look what I have done. And when the fire's been through it, it's like, you've got to get right down and you almost need a magnifying glass. Because most things they've done was done with a bad attitude. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a bad attitude. <laughs> if we had time, and we're running out of time again, it's like amazing. We're fighting the clock every Sunday. Isn't that amazing how that works? If we had time, we would back up. And when Paul's speaking about all of this stuff about the temple, he says, don't defile. Whoever defiles the temple of God, him will God destroy. And that's pretty strong. We say, this is the age of grace. We almost get away with, with anything these days. No, we don't. No, we don't. There is such a thing as a law of sowing and reaping, and it catches up with everybody. What we sow is what we reap. And... Uh, it's amazing how, I remember years ago, we were in a city, in, the, in, in a church in the city there, just before we went to Bible school, and uh, there was a minister, guest speaker that came in. He was ministering that day, and, and I still remember the, the, the main thought of the message was that he says, he says uh, and this is now an aged minister, an older man that's been one of the most prominent ministers in New Zealand at that time. Um, he says, I've watched people, he says. He says, and when you, you know, somebody gets saved and God begins to use their lives and the anointing comes on and they begin to function. And wonderful things begin to happen. He says, but then time goes on. Ratchet things forward some years and suddenly there's an attitude that creeps in. Could be self-importance, could be, could be anything. Could be offense, could be anything. And he says, and I've watched the Spirit of God lifting off of people. Now, of course, doctrinally, the Bible says, Jesus never leaves us nor forsakes us. And in the Old Testament, Saul, who was the first choice of king, 
for Israel. The anointing was on him, but it lifted off and it fell on David. And the Spirit of God completely left Saul and he ended up depressed. Um, in the New Testament, if we are born again, there will always be Holy Spirit in our lives in terms of a residue, the born-again measure we might call it. But in terms of a filtness in many people's lives, many Christians haven't been filled in years. And I still remember that message. But this man preached, and I said to myself, one of the most important things in my life is to watch my attitude all the time. Not allow offenses. Not allow pride. Not allow these things to rise up. The self-importance and the opinionators that we see. What a tragedy. What a travesty. That somebody's been born again for years and years and years and still filled with pride. And that is a stench in God's nostrils. Just prior to Paul talking about that master build a business and temple and everything, he's addressing issues in the Corinthian church. There was strife, there was division, there was a party spirit, there was sexual immorality, there was a whole raft of things. And he's, Paul was saying in not so many words, he says, you guys are a banal country people, a carnal, just a carnal, what did I say? I used some other word, carnal, that's the word I'm wanting to use. Banal, no such thing, carnal. Some say, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Some said, I'm of Cephas. He says, did Paul die for you? Were you baptized in the name of Apollos or were you baptized in the name of Christ? We're all one in Christ. As soon as people are singling themselves out and attaching themselves to so-and-so and, -so and uh, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm off Pastor Stefan. Yeah, he, he's my man. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm of Pastor Vanessa. That, that, that's who I'm of. No, somebody says, no, I'm of Peter. Cephas. Somebody says, oh no, I'm of Marty and of Viv. He says, you guys are all a bunch of carnal Christians. And you come into church Sunday after Sunday. And you bring your gripes and your complaints with you. And we can't figure out why the presence of God is not there consistently to the extent that we want it to be so people can get saved and healed. There ought not to be a single unsaved person coming into the house and leave unsaved. There ought not to be a single a sick person coming in and leave sick. It's, it's completely, it's completely wrong. It was never God's intention. So while people are playing favoritism, there's envy, there's jealousy. Why, why don't I get a turn? must be my turn by now, surely. Well, no, it's not. If you keep on asking for your turn, you're not ready for your turn, whatever that term means.
hay, wood and stubble. Too much of that. Too much of that in the, in the church. I'm talking across the board. In the Old Testament, I close with this thought. I've run out of time, so we won't carry on with the outline, but I close with this thought. In the Old Testament, many of the articles that were put into the tabernacle were made of pure gold, pure, refined gold. And really, in terms of attitude, nothing but excellent attitude will suffice. God doesn't want half good attitude and half flesh. God doesn't want that. So what happened was, uh, all of that was carried on into the temple. In fact, uh, Solomon added to it just extensively gold everywhere you look, silver and precious stones. And um, future kings uh, came, were in charge of the whole show there, and there was an invading army that came. They were going to obliterate Israel, and the king said, oh, no, 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 we'll pay you off. So he went into the temple and gave him all the temple treasures. And everything that was gold stripped it all down and gave it to the king, and that guy turned around and left him to it. So they said, we've got no more gold. So what they did was, because they didn't have money for gold, they brought in a lot of brass. How many of you have got uh, brass things at home, brass door handles, brass uh, things? You know, if you polish brass, it almost looks like gold, but it's not, but it only looks like gold. And here's the thought. God says, get the brass out of the church, and get the gold back in again. I want nothing but pure gold, tested and refined by fire. Attitudes that are tested by the Word of God and that are fixed with the help of the Holy Spirit. Don't give me brasses. I don't want the look-alike. I don't want the smiles here and the frowns on the inside. I don't want the friendly faces and showing the, 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 the claws on the inside. God says, I don't want that. Don't bring that into my house. God's house is to be a temple that is pure from all issues of the flesh.